Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Body of Christ Church, and you are listening to our program, From Darkness to Light, where we wage war against the servants of darkness and spiritual wickedness at work in today's world. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, we fight to spread the true gospel of Jesus Christ to those overtaken in the sins of witchcraft and occult practices. Join us each week on our mission to fulfill the words written in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Darkness to Light, the journey from darkness to light. The Holy Bible tells us that good is set against evil and life against death. So is the godly against the sinner and the sinner against the godly. So look upon all the works of the Most High, and they are two and two, one against another. This irrevocable truth has also set the light against the darkness and the darkness against the light. And in this world, now polluted by sin and death, 
the darkness may appear to be infinite. But for those who turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and the words of the Holy Bible, a new day will dawn and the Holy Spirit will arise in your hearts, lighting the path to true salvation. Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we share the story of our journey as soldiers of God on our mission to defend the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and free those taken captive by the sins and corruptions of this world. Given all praises to the Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, another edition of From Darkness to Light. This is our journey from darkness to light. This is something we're going to do, um, review some shows and just go over some shows and show where we come from and where we started to to where we are now in this fight and this struggle, this battle from darkness to the light, the light which is in Christ. I'm your brother Godaiwan. I'm here for another installment of From Darkness to Light. And also, as usual, we have the brother like brother, my brother, Akurai, coming to you with another darkness of light. So we'll give you the brother Akurai. Shalom, brother Godaiwan. And as we say with every single show that we do, it is a privilege and it's an honor to be able to bring this word to the people to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the light, especially in this world that is covered in this gross darkness where the words of the Bible are so despised and so set at naught. And the reason why this show was really special to to us is we were speaking about doing this one for a long time, really just to review some of the things that we were going over throughout the years and to let people know about the journey that we really took in putting this show together. And people may not really understand how far back it started, but really we can go back to the end of 2010 where we first started to put some of these shows together and now going into so-called 2015 and just seeing how the Lord has helped us throughout the years bring these words out, put these shows together, and really make the type of impact that was made in fighting against spiritual wickedness and corruption in this world. This show will literally be our 71st show. And one of the things that me and the brother Godaiwan spoke about is that this is not like a year in review, neither is it a greatest hit show or anything like that, although we will be reviewing some of the older shows that we've done. We're doing it for a specific reason. When we first started to put Darkness to Light together, one of the things that the brother Godaiwan brought to me was how I had to personally overcome many of my fears and trepidations about dealing with the left-hand path, the esoteric knowledge, the witchcraft, the sorceries, and all the different sins that I was guilty of committing in the past. Although I may have repented of those things and have come to the light of Jesus Christ, that was still a part of me that I was not comfortable in speaking about. I was not comfortable in going to those dark places ever again to be able to do it even for the sake of edification. So a lot of people that I knew, a lot of people around me, even people in the church who were going through similar things, 
they suffered in silence because no one had really come forth and really began to speak about these things and give that testimony. But that's why when you look in the book of Second Timothy chapter 1, that was really one of the scriptures that helped me to overcome that fear. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter Second Timothy chapter 1 and I'll start at verse 6 and 7. And it says, "Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands." So right now the apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy, letting him know that you have a gift in you which was given to you by God. And I want that gift to be stirred up in you so that you can go forth and do the works that need to be done. Verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that was the spirit that I had to learn. That was the spirit that I had to tap into because I was dealing with the spirit of fear. I was dealing with that spirit of despair and sorrow and guilt and shame. And until I learned to conquer that, there would be no from darkness to light. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many people that's out there. One of the things that I knew for sure is the the, the same way you felt a lot of people felt the same way. And you had me to encourage you but many other people they're they're trapped and they have no one to encourage them and help them to get over you know coming out of witchcraft i mean you you've been out of witchcraft for a long time now but there's there's people with those same fears and doubts and despair depression and those things will lead you down a dark path even to you know some people that's dealing with witchcraft to kill themselves because they believe that there is no way out for them. But we know for sure and definitely with, you know, a certainty that Christ is our way out. Christ is our hope. Christ is our light to lead us out of the dark places where we find trapped and confined. He come and save us. So we being the messengers and ambassadors of Christ and also the soldiers of Christ, we the ones that have to go into the darkness, into those dark places with the light, not hiding our light, letting that light shine and facing, you know, people they criticize them, whether they're criticizing the Bible, whatever, and stand for the truth and let that light shine and show people like, look, there is a path out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And even with that being said, there was still another fear that I had to conquer. And the other fear that I was dealing with was the fact that when I had my time coming up in this world, surrounded by the things that I was surrounded by, there were times when I was really under spiritual attack many times. When I say spiritual attack, I mean to the point of losing my mind, feeling that you were going crazy, different sicknesses and ailments that came into your life. And although I had been delivered from all of those things, the fear was that if I go back and start really dealing with this show and really start addressing a lot of these issues in this world and really start bringing to the forefront the evils of astrology, the evils of spirit guides, the evils of having putting roots on people and witchcraft and sorcery and, and monthly prognosticators and 
seeing the future and being a psychic and dream interpretation and all these different myriad forms of witchcraft that are in the world, it was almost like, I'm almost ashamed to say it now, but I will say it for the sake of edification. But one of the things that I was really afraid of was the fact that these demonic entities were going to try to get revenge on me somehow. Like they were going to come back and be angry and try to fight, which of course they did, and which of course they still are. But that's because that, but that fear was because I didn't really understand as of yet the power that I was serving. So when you go to the book of Second Kings, chapter six, verse sixteen, it's one piece of history that always really sticks out in my mind, dealing with the prophet Elisha and how he was steadfast in his service to the Most High, even at times against incredible odds. And just to preface this scripture, what was going on is that an entire army, an entire army came up against the prophet of the Lord, where it was just him and his servant. And this is what happens when that servant goes forth to see the armies that came against them. This is Second Kings 6, and I'll start at verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots and his servants, horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? So the servant of the prophet Elisha came to him and said, Listen, we are surrounded by an army. We are surrounded by horsemen. They have the city blocked in. How are we going to survive against a force like this? In verse 16, the prophet Elisha gives his answer. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So what happened? When the eyes of that servant were opened, when his spiritual eyes were opened, what did he see? He saw an army of angels camped around the prophet of God. And at the word of that prophet, that entire army was smitten with blindness. So a lot of times we read these scriptures and we think, okay, that was only for the times in the past. And that was only for 3,000 years ago. And that was only for the prophets of old. But when you understand the words of this gospel, you understand, you come to an understanding that the Most High's word was not limited to a specific time in history, nor is his power relegated to Old Testament. When you look at the words of the Most High and his power, then we know that it is still with us even unto this very day. So the same way the angels of the Lord camped around the prophets of old is the same way he camps around those of us who strive to follow him today. And although we are lesser men than our forefathers, and we can't even hold a torch to them, or even a shadow of them, we know that the Lord has respect to those that keep his commandments and strive for his truth unto death. 
And with that being said, we know that he also protects and encamps around us even to this day. That's definitely one of my, you know, one of my favorite scriptures is, you know, showing that we need to have more faith and that the most size with us, like you said, an incredible odds. But, you know, a lot of people, what they don't understand is that the most size with them in such a special way every day in their lives, you know, they're driving to and fro to work or their children are going to school and read about things that happen to other people, but the most high is keeping you safe. It's keeping those evil forces, those armies of evil angels and demonic forces at bay. And most people don't even know, but it's just something that they have to see. And you think you're in a corner and there's no way out for me. And, you know, odds are impossible. Maybe I should just kill myself or the bills are too much. Maybe I should just kill myself or I'm useless or whatever. You know, it's never the case. There's always a way out. And we know that way as the only way is in Jesus Christ. And in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it explains about how we overcome those same demons that you just spoke of, Kadawan, depression, despair, worthlessness, the hatred, the anger, the envy, all of those fears that come upon us, all of those works of the flesh that fight against us. But the scriptures tell us in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we know that there's the prince of the power of this world, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That spirit is not going to have power over those who stand fast in the Lord. They're going to overcome the one that is in this world, because greater is the spirit of Christ that is in you, spirit of Satan that is in this world. And that's why we go on and do this work according also to the words of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. And it reads, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that is why when I think about brothers like Gadiwan, who the Lord has blessed to be here with me doing these shows, like the brother Kakamgabar, and, and when he does Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor, which is on every Tuesday night. Then you have the brothers that, that do Repentance is the Key on Friday. On Thursday, is it's time to awake. On Monday, can you handle the truth? Saturday, where it comes with the, the virtual living room on the Sabbath. Of course, you have I'm sorry, the virtual living room on the Sabbath, which is a, a different name now, isn't it, Godawa? The King's Embrace. <laughs> the virtual living room on the Sabbath, formerly now known as Kings and Priests. Then, of course, you have the virtual living room, which was the, is the Sunday, as the show that airs on Sunday. We have the Spanish blog talk show. And all of these things, so the scriptures tell you in verse Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that the Lord has blessed us to be able to do these works. 
and he's the one that's going to give us the strength to endure, to continue in these same works, in these same good works, until the time of his return. So that's why we started it out that way to explain, listen, yes, we're going to be reviewing some of the more impactful shows that we've done on From Darkness to Light over these years, but the spirit that it's going to be done in is not to glorify the teachings or, oh, we put a really great show together, let's pat ourselves on the back. What we're really doing is showing that it was the Lord who allowed us to do this good work and gave us the strength to continue in it throughout the years, and we pray that he gives us the strength to continue for even longer. So that's the reason why we come together and say, this is our journey from darkness to light. These are the things that the Lord has allowed us to put out there, and these are some of the evils that we fought against. So when we start thinking about some of the evils that we fought against on darkness to light and the different things that we put out there through the spirit of Christ of the different wickedness that are in the world, what we did is this. Me and the brother Gadai once sat back, and we looked at some of the older shows that we've done all the way up to the present, and we said, what were the shows that really stood out as some of the more impactful shows that really dealt with a lot of evils that were prevalent in the world that these shows that we've done are just as valid today as they were the years ago that they were made? Yes, bro. Before you continue, I don't mean to, to, to interrupt your flow, but you said you know, some of the battles and, and some of the demons that we have to face. Most people don't know the the real battles and the demons that we had to face to get some of these shows out where you had demons literally screaming on the recording, you know, the technical difficulties that we had on certain shows that were, were so powerful we had to do them two or three times before we could um, even get them to air. So a lot of people don't know the backstory of some of those battles that we had to face to, to get shows on, just get the shows up on the air. You're, you're absolutely right, and that that's why one of the things that me and this brother do, and we do it faithfully, is before every single show we do, <laughs> we make sure that we set up those prayers and we ask the Lord to watch over us during the time we're recording the shows, to keep the technical difficulties away, to really, really allow this word to go forth without hindrance because what the brother's bringing out is true. Oftentimes there are things that can be classified as nothing short of supernatural that happen when we do these shows. Whole recordings wind up missing, and like the brother said, voices <laughs> distorting, demons screaming on tapes. It's, it's Screaming. It's, it's insane. But those are some of the things that we have to fight through to bring this word out. And um, so when you look at the different shows that we started touching on, the Brother Godwin picked out a few shows, and I picked out a few that I really thought were very impactful. So, Godwin, I will turn it over to you for the first show that you wanted to speak on. Um, one of my, my favorite shows that I like, I mean, each of the shows that you know I like is usually based upon or idea that I have is, is something that I see you either my friends or my family that they're into, that's really going contrary to the scriptures. And um, one, of, one of the shows that was really impactful for me was the paranormal romance. It's because I see a lot of times, you know, people there, they're into 
these different movies and they don't see evil as evil. It's been, you know, cleaned up. You know, Satan has become an angel of light. Now vampires isn't a vampire. When I grew up, you had uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And when that show came on on a Tuesday night, you were scared. You were scared to watch it. You were scared to see the vampire. You were scared to see the werewolf. Now the wolf, werewolf is sexy. The the, the, the vampire is your friend. Is You know, that's not true. These things are, 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 are very much evil, and that's how we should see them. So, so um, what we're going to do now is take a listen to the intro to the Paranormal Romance Show and see what we were dealing with on that show see what the theme was and how we addressed it. From darkness to light, paranormal romance. Are you a parent? If so, whose posters adorn the wall of your son or daughter's bedroom? Is it a favorite singer or rapper? Or perhaps a favorite actor? Chances are that the images on your children's bedroom wall will be that of their favorite vampire, werewolf, or other creature of the night. In this new satanic age, the face of evil has changed and the monsters which once haunted our childhood dreams have returned as fleek, elegant, and supernaturally sexy teenage boys and girls. In order to understand just how successful this repackaging of evil has become, you need only check your local television listings for the top-grossing movies and books of the past few years. The phenomenal success of movie franchises like Twilight and the HBO series True Blood are just a few shining stars in a genre which has become known as paranormal romance. But unlike other forms of fantasy, paranormal romance has a strong root in reality. And although your son or daughter may not be bringing a vampire home for dinner anytime soon, chances are that traces of the occult and witchcraft may already be hiding in your home. Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light, as we expose the newest weapon in Satan's war for the minds of our youth, paranormal romance. Yes, I remember that show. And one of the themes that I really wanted to touch on when we dealt with that show of paranormal romance was the whole idea, like you were bringing out, about the acceptance of evil. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. So when you look at that calling evil good and good evil, the Lord said, Woe unto them that do that. That word woe means destruction. 
So the whole concept of paranormal romance about people falling in love with vampires and werewolves and witches and all these things, they had the movie Twilight series, the True Blood series, where everybody's falling in love with vampires. And if they're not falling in love with vampires, they're falling in love with werewolves and shape changers. They did another movie which um, came out, I think, about a year ago, Beautiful Creatures, where this woman was from a whole family of witches, and Dark Side is going to claim her on her birthday, or the Light Side is going to claim her, and she's falling in love, and love is going to drive her crazy. So it was all this stuff going on where everybody's being groomed to accept this new repackaging of evil. Whereas, like we were bringing out even in the synopsis, and what the Brother Godalin was bringing out, we knew when we were growing up that vampires were evil. We knew that. Mm-hmm. We knew that. We knew that werewolves were evil. We knew that. We knew that witches were evil. We knew that. But when you look at how everything was repackaged for this generation, it was something more at work. So and what you we know, were really dealing with, bring it up. You know what's, fri- you know what's frightening, um, Rise, how they pushed this in the, in, in the educational system, because I can remember my um, my children coming home with some of these same themed books. You know, it wasn't a Twilight series, but it was other books that were like it was based, you know, paranormal romance. You got a young teenager girl and getting involved with either a werewolf or and they're in love. And and I would pick up my, you know, I would tell my children, you got to take that book back. Okay, that can't stay in here. And then I, I would make fun of them, like, vampire lover, I'm going to bite your neck, and we're going to fall in love. And they'll feel so embarrassed. And, you know, just show them the scriptures. Like, look, this is all to give you sympathy for the devil and to pitch you against the Most High's word. Like, look, you know, evil's not that bad. It's okay. You know, it's misunderstood. You know, there's really good um, vampires. There's really, you know, even though they drink blood and the, and the scriptures say you're not supposed to drink blood, the, the life is in blood. You know, they're not that bad. They're just, they'll just drink the animal's blood, but they're in love. Nothing can be wrong with love. And I was like, you know, when you look at the, the scriptures, you know, the scriptures are against these things. And then they're like, oh, well, you know, our Bible's got too many rules. That's that making evil, calling evil good and good evil. Because for you to support these things, you have to blaspheme the word of the Most High. And what the word of the Most High is saying is it's against these things. It's against drinking blood. It's against uh, witchcraft and those things. So you have to make a choice. And the reason why this show was really interesting is because people were sitting back like, okay, I know y'all do the show Darkness to Light, which is really getting people to repent of witchcraft and sorcery and all of these World to the occult. So why are y'all doing a show about vampires and werewolves? And what are you telling people to repent of being a vampire and werewolf? And I had to explain <laughs> to people, no, what we're dealing with is this. When you look at those shows, TV shows, books, and things like that, vampires, werewolves, and all those things, those are just metaphors for Satan himself. When you look at Satan and all of his works, what, is, what was the whole purpose of repackaging evil? so that people would look at Satan as if he was this tragic, misunderstood, beloved figure that deserved your sympathy, your empathy, your support, and that you could ultimately fall in love with. Also, when you read in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 26 and 27, it explains something really interesting. 
And it says, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other peoples, that ye should be mine. So the Lord said that he separated us from everyone else so that we could belong to him. Verse 27, A man also a woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones, their blood shall be upon them. So you're looking at a scripture telling us about familiar spirits that people have. A familiar spirit is like a spirit companion, like a person that's a psychic or a sorcerer. What they do is they have spirits on them that give them the ability to do the things that they do. So people sit back and they wonder, like, okay, well, what does that scripture have to do with twilight and true blood and all of these things that are out there on the, on the screen with people going, getting involved in these paranormal romances? And this is the key. We're not talking about we're not talking about things that are not real. We're talking about things that are very real. Satan is very real. When you look at spirit guides and and people that conjure up de- demonic forces, those spirits are very real. And the people who are into dealing with familiar spirits and things of that nature, they know that certain spirits may come in the form of male, they may come in the form of female. And even when you look at some of the greatest occultists in the world, like Aleister Crowley, who really was called the, the Great Beast 666, the wickedest man alive, one of the things that he taught concerning demonology and spirit guides is that the spirit had to be treated as a member of your family and that you have to form a strong bond and relationship with it. So what happens is there are people who were into the occult when they summoned these spirits, those spirits became more than a friend. Some of those spirits became intimate with them, becoming friends, companions, and even lovers. And where that concept comes out again is in paranormal romance, because what they're doing is they're taking it beyond the spirit realm and saying, well, what if it was somebody that was a vampire? Or what if it was somebody that was a werewolf? What if it was somebody that was a witch? What if it was a creature that was inherently known to be evil and shunned and hidden away in the darkness? What if you could love that person, person could love you back, and you could watch and be in awe of their powers and their gifts and their, and their strength? But that was all the satanic delusion to really, really lure you in. The other aspect that we touched on in that show that I thought was very important, too, was who it was being targeted to. Because when you look at every single one of those shows, it's always this young outcast, either male or female, that has doesn't fit in anywhere. They're being bullied. They're being ostracized. They're going through all of these pains. But the only friend I have in the world is my vampire friend, or the only friend I have in the world is that werewolf or that ghost or that witch that treats me like a true friend. What is that really saying? That's all saying that if you are a a person or a child that's socially awkward or you don't have any friends or you're being bullied or you don't have anybody to talk to, that Satan is your friend and he will accept you as you are and he will give you power to overcome the enemies that are around you. That's the reason why you have movies like Let the Right One In with a little boy being bullied and here comes the vampire that kills his bullies. That's the reason why you have shows like The True Blood with 
this young girl. She has psychic powers, but nobody understands her but her vampire lover. That's the reason why you have the shows like Twilight where this girl, she goes so far, she's in love with a vampire and a werewolf. She can't even make her mind up. You know what I mean? So it just goes to show you that it's more prevalent in this world than you know. And when you go to the movies and the TV shows and the books that are out there, it's more than just saying, hey, this is a wickedness that's being, that's being exposed to the world. It's really, really being pushed heavily on our children, male and female. And it's something that had to be addressed. And I think that the Lord allowed us to address it very well on that show, Paranormal Romance. So all praises for that. There was also another show that was one of the earliest shows that we did when we started Darkness to Light, and it really, I think, was the Brother Godalman's absolute favorite show, and that was the show that was titled The Subtle Evil of Astrology. And when we did The Subtle Evil of Astrology, we really just wanted to start with the basics of what it is, what it is not, and why and how it has incorporated itself into every aspect of our lives. So before we play the intro to that, is there anything you wanted to say on that show, Godalwin? Uh That's, you know, another show that, you know, I just thought we had to do because, once again, I see my friends, family, you know, people, out there, how astrology is, is a part of their everyday life, but yet many people, they call themselves Christians, but then they believe their star sign. What is my star sign? And this is, this is who I am, and this is what makes me. You know, when you look at the scriptures, Paul said he became all things to all men. And some of the star signs is like, okay, it has negatives. It has negatives. It have, they have positives, but then they have negatives. And, and people just accept, this is the way I am. This is and So that's a trap. That's a... That's a snare, and how people just readily accept that, and and not understand that that's dealing with witchcraft, is you know, it just have blown away of the ignorance of people, especially people that call themselves Christians. So I was like, we had to do this show to wake people up to put that information. Out. And a lot of the, my you know my friends and and people who I know, once we did this show, they were very appreciative because they were ignorant. They didn't know. You know, just reading their, uh, you know, their their astrology, their daily astrology, and what was going on, how that was, you know, blasphemous and abominable to the Most High. They had not a clue, and and for many for many people, they still don't have a clue. But you know, it was so important to do this show, and just to see, you know, the, the results from it was amazing. All right, so without further ado, let's listen to the intro for the synopsis for The Subtle Evil of Astrology. From Darkness to Light, The Subtle Evil of Astrology. The poets once wrote that the fault lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. But how true is that statement? Is our fate written in the stars above? Do we live our lives predestined for success or failure, happiness or despair? Do the stars guide our way to that true love or the perfect job? 
There are many people who believe so. Astrology is a practice as old as time itself. It was an integral part of the lives of ancient peoples, and it is just as prevalent today. Even many who profess to follow the Bible and the teachings of Jesus Christ will often consult horoscopes and seek out fortune tellers. Is astrology just a harmless form of entertainment, or is it something more? Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light, as we use the Holy Bible to expose the subtle evil of astrology and how it has incorporated itself into nearly every aspect of our lives. Right, that was one of the shows, that was actually one of the earliest that we did. I believe that was all the way back in uh, 2011. And mm. The Subtle Evil of Astrology was one of those shows, like you said, it was probably at that year the the most reviewed show we did. I think it had the most listens to of all the shows that we had done. And when you look in the book of Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh to you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the ways of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. And when you look at what we really were dealing with through that show, through the Spirit of Christ, was bringing out how the Lord told us not to be dismayed at those signs in heaven, not to follow astrology, not to follow it in the form of witchcraft and monthly prognosticators and all the things that are happening in this world, but really just touching on what the brother Godawan brought out about how so many people that, were, that we know, whether in our family, our friends, and people around us, co-workers, everything to them was astrology. And there are times when it has incorporated ourselves into so incorporated itself into so many aspects of our lives that it become we become oblivious to it. There are people that I met that were coworkers and every time they would meet somebody new, one of the first things they would do is ask them for their birthday. And they'd be like, Okay, well why do you need to know my birthday? Because what they were doing is they wanted to know what your sign was what your zodiac sign was so that they would know if you were a person that could be their friend or if you couldn't be their friend. I had people around me that were supervisors who were supervisors and managers at jobs. And what they would do is they would go around talking about, okay, well, put your birthday on this paper because we're doing a a list of birthdays so that we can give people a cake on their birthday or, you know, maybe give them a little present or do something nice for them on their birthday. But then my then they would come back and secretly tell me, well, really, I just get their birthday so that I know how to how I need to maneuver myself around them after I see what they are. Because you know, if they're Aries, I know that back I'm an Aries too, and we could bump heads. So I got to make sure I deal with them this way. And if they this, then I'm cool with them, and they could be in my inner circle. And they would literally, literally set their teams up at work based on zodiac signs. People wow. have relationships. People choosing relationships and lovers based on Zodiac. People dealing with their children based on when their children were born. So it just goes on and on and on. And that's why when you, when we did the show, one of the things that I was very happy about is that there were many people who came forward, like you said, who were appreciative, and some even who had books on astrology and things like that that got rid of them and in accordance with what we read in the book of Acts chapter 19, verse 19. In the book of Acts chapter 19 and 19, it reads, 
Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. 50,000 pieces of silver, you'd be a millionaire. But it just goes to show you that it was so prevalent even back that when they destroyed the books, they destroyed so many books that the worth of them would have been 50,000 50,000 pieces of silver. And that's insane to think about. Also, we covered on that show, there was an article written by a gentleman by the name of um, Abishak Loder, and he wrote an article which was entitled Astrology, Science or Superstition? And the statistics that he quoted in his article was astounding where he said it has been estimated that approximately 75% of the population of the world follow astrology in some form or fashion. Now, that is absurd. Wow. When you look at, when you look at how many people around you are dealing with something like that, in some way, shape, or form, we're not saying that they're getting star charts laid out in front of them, but even if there are people that read their horoscopes in the newspaper or got the app on their phone. There's people that have the apps on their phone where they just click on it. Here's your daily horoscope, your daily astrology. There are people that talk about never leaving the house until they consult their, their horoscope. So when you look at that, these are people, they don't see themselves as wicked or evil. They don't see themselves as breaking the commandments of God. They just see themselves as regular people. And they say, well, it's just harmless. It's just entertainment. I don't take it literally but at the same time, they're making decisions based on it. And that's where it really goes to show the hypocrisy of it all, especially considering that it's something that the Lord already told you in the scriptures that he hates. Yeah, I mean, the horoscope, then we did the we did the second part about Ophelius and how you the sign you think you are, you, know, you may not be your sign. So, you know, people base life decisions upon their, their star sign and who their lover was going to be. And, you know, and, and a lot of people have made bad choices based upon those things because it's in, inconsistent. You know, we know some of those things that people can peep into certain things, but you're not going to have a clear vision. It's only the most high in Christ through his word that gives us a clear vision of what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. And everyone is supposed to have and share the fruits of the Spirit, which is consistent across the board. It's not, you know, I'm this way or that way. No, we're always supposed to be patient. We're always supposed to have that joy and that peace. That's something that everyone can strive towards and, and, and everyone can obtain. And it's really interesting that you, that you brought it out. We had done the show, The Subtle Evil of Astrology. Literally two weeks later, their article came out about Ophiuchus, or Ophiuchus, depending on how you want to pronounce it, but it was the 13th <laughs> sign, or some people said the secret sign. And when it came out, people were livid. They were upset. How dare you change my zodiac sign? I'm a scorpion. I'm always going to be a scorpion. And we laughed so hard. We came back two weeks later, and we did another show, and we was like, wow. It's so funny. Didn't we just leave this party? And here we are back again with people all of a sudden. And that's the reason why we read one of the scriptures we read on that show was Isaiah chapter 47 and 13. In Isaiah 47 and 13, it reads, 
thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels, let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. So the Lord is letting you know you have wearied yourself with foolish counsels. And when the Lord starts bringing evil and calamity and pain and death into your life, he's saying, where are these men? Let the astrologers and the soothsayers and the, and the monthly prognosticators and stargazers rise up and save you because he knows that they're going to be powerless to do anything. The same way the pharaohs, astrologers, and soothsayers were powerless to know what was coming on the earth in the form of that famine. The same way Nebuchadnezzar was powerless to know the things that the Lord was going to bring upon his kingdom by his astrologers and soothsayers and all the Chaldeans or Chaldeans that he had. In the time of Egypt, it was Joseph who stood up and delivered the word of the Lord. In the time of Babylon, it was Daniel who stood up and delivered the word of the Lord. But the point being is that their power is broken because the Lord makes everybody ashamed that trust in that. And even when you read, we read the article about Ophiuchus the serpent bearer, one of the things that was absolutely hilarious was we read some of the comments that were on the article. And the comment that we thought was the absolute funniest was somebody that was furious that their zodiac sign had changed. And they wrote, the, the people who think that they can change people's birth sign are crazy and will slit hell wide open. God is the only one who can change something like this. You people are trying to, something like what you people are trying to do. Then somebody responds back and says, you're absolutely right. Only God can change magic. <laughs> and we laughed and we laughed till I had tears in my eyes. When somebody could literally sit back and say, only God can change magic, that just was one of those things that made me laugh till tears came in my eyes. It was one of those things like people say, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Because this, it's so sad to think that somebody is so caught up in their astrology that they're saying, well, only God can change my zodiac sign. And then somebody says, yeah, only God can change magic. What Bible are they reading? But then that brings you to the point. They're not reading the Bible at all. And that's the reason why we had to do these shows that we were doing. Did you have anything to add before we move? Yeah, some of the attributes and signs that they have of you know, these different people, you know, you know their personality, their their strengths and weaknesses, and and, and their love, and that's why people look at am I compatible? But the scriptures tell us this. This is Galatians three and ten. It says, and have put on the new man, which was a new knowledge after the image of him who created him, who's Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to we're supposed to be dealing with some knowledge, but this knowledge is is after Jesus Christ. Whether there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, skiffin, bond nor free, but Christ is in all Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of, perfect, of perfectness. So 
these are things that, but people, you know, a lot of people hide behind this sign. You know, you know, I'm this or that, and you know, we're strong minded or whatever. You know, how does that deal with humbleness of mind? You know, you know, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really hard. How does that go against kindness? How does that go against meekness, long suffering? You know, people have these things. All these things are desirable qualities, but they're not. As, as we started with the paranormal romance, where evil is made good and good is put as evil. These things are not, you know, to be kind now is not really something, you know, people will like it to be, but it's not something that's really favorable. If you hard and you, look, I'm hard, I'm, I'm a pimp, my pimp hand is strong. That's something that people value more so than kindness or meekness or long suffering or being forgiven. So this is what it's supposed to be rather than you looking at your signs and this is what I am. This is what you're supposed to be. We're supposed to be born again. So whatever thing that we had before, that's old, done away with, and we're supposed to grow in the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's all. All praises. So, yes, subtle evil of astrology, and even as the title, it's very subtle. It's not something that jumps out at you. It's not drinking blood and sacrificing animals. It's not cutting people's hearts out. It's just clicking on the app on your phone reading something on the newspaper or making a decision based on what you see in the sky. It's that simple. And that's the and, reason why. And and what makes it really, really subtle and really, really evil is when your pastor telling you, are you compatible with this man or with your woman based upon your sign? Exactly. So moving on, as the years went by, we had to deal with other issues that were very prevalent in going forward to the year in the year 2011. Now we had to come forward to what was about to happen. There was about to be a new year coming in, which was 2012. <laughs> and as 2012 was approaching, the world began to go crazy because of an ancient Mayan calendar all these years earlier, which predicted, so-called predicted the end of the world. So there were really two shows that we had to do addressing this absolute phenomenon. The first show that we did was a show called Nostradamus. And the reason why we had to do the show on Nostradamus is because as the world became closer and closer to 2012, people were really going back and studying all these works of Nostradamus, and he had this renewed popularity as everybody was trying to see what he had to say about 2012. Nobody was consulting the scriptures. Nobody was consulting the Bible. Nobody was going to see what Jesus Christ said about the end of the world. Everybody wanted to say, well, what did Nostradamus say? And so that's why we had to address Nostradamus before we even had to address the folly of 2012. Well, they say Nostradamus was supposed to be the most consistent prophet of this time. What they should have said, he's the most consistent witch. And um, I think that, you know, we did that show to show that, look, he wasn't a prophet of the most high. He was a witch and a false prophet. Exactly. So let's move on and play the intro to Nostradamus and then talk more about what we had to expose on the show we did on that witch. 
from darkness to light, Nostradamus. He is called the King of Prophets and the greatest prophet of all. And if you thought that title was reserved for our Lord Jesus Christ, you would be mistaken. Popular culture has made it clear that their prophet of choice is Nostradamus, credited with predicting every major world event, from the London fires to the rise of Hitler and the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Nostradamus is enjoying a renewed fame in these last days. As doomsday prophecies circled the globe on television and the internet, the masses looked to Nostradamus for guidance and for the signs of the end. And as the common trend continues, even many of those who claim to be Christians and profess the Lord Jesus Christ look to Nostradamus as a pseudo-messiah and a messenger of hope for the future. But for those of us who truly understand the difference between prophecy and divination and between the wisdom of the Most High God and the lying wonders of Satan, the words of this wizard will hold no sway. Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we examine the life and legacy of Nostradamus and his satanic hold on the minds of this age. And that's exactly what it is, a satanic hold that he has on the minds of this age. And even after all of these prophecies don't come to pass, fall apart, or whatever, people still, the next big thing that happens on the world, whatever it is, it could be a comet falling from out of heaven, whatever it is, somebody's going to say, well, Nostradamus said it was going to happen, instead of going right to the scriptures. But one of the things we brought out in the synopsis was the difference between prophecy and divination. And that's the thing a lot of people on this world don't know. And that's why we're going to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 10, to address that very quickly. In Revelation 19 and 10, this is John on the island of Patmos when he was speaking to the angel that was showing him the visions that were going to that were going to come to pass on the earth. And as these visions were shown to him, he fell at the feet of the angel to worship him. And this is what the angel said unto him. Revelation 19 and 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you look at all of the biblical prophets, it lets you know by whose power and authority they were able to do the things that they were doing. That's the reason why Moses spoke of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why Isaiah prophesied of him. That's the reason why Daniel prophesied of him and spoke to him. That's the reason why David prophesied of him. That's the reason why all the biblical prophets spoke of the time of the end when our Lord would return and set this world to right because they were doing it through the spirit of Jesus Christ. When you look at Nostradamus, who we went through that show line for line, piece for piece, word for word, showing the different tools that he had, different artifacts that he had, different charms that he had, different books of witchcraft that he was studying, and all these things to go into into very plain, clear, concise details about the magics and the witchcraft that he worked with, showing that he was not a biblical prophet 
or a prophet in any way, shape, or form. Instead, he was a sorcerer. In the book of Isaiah chapter 55, it speaks about the words of the Most High and how they're going to come to pass on the planet, regardless of what people say against it or they think they can do to alter it or change it. Because when we started going through a lot of the different documentaries that we were using for that show, and we started looking at the History Channel's documentaries on Nostradamus and all these independent documentaries on them, one of the quotes that came out which really stuck out in that show was where a gentleman said, the purpose and the goal of a psychic is so that they can change the future. So Nostradamus was predicting these things so that we would have a better future because he could change the things that was. But when you look in the scriptures, that's why I went to Isaiah 55, and it explained about the power of the Most High. And it reads, Isaiah 55 and 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words that go forth, so shall my words be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So the Lord is letting you know that every word that he spoke is going to have the exact effect that he wants it to have, and it will not return to him without it bringing forth what it will bring forth. So whether you're looking at the times of the end or different destructions or the scriptures that tell us about pangs and fears and terrors taking hold of this world, all the things that, and the calamities the Lord is going to send, whether it be famine and death and the sword and pestilence and plague, what can the words of a so-called false prophet say that would stop those words from coming to pass? Nothing. Because the Lord is letting us know that when his words come, come down, they are going to accomplish and achieve every single thing he sent it to accomplish and achieve. So is there anything else you would like to add to Nostradamus? I've, I've said it all. <laughs> I've said it all. You know, he's, he was a witch. He's, people gave him more reverence than they gave, you know, Jesus Christ. And it just goes right back to that theme. That's why we're in a fight. That's why we're in a war. You know, where people giving so much homage to things that are definitely on the left-hand side. You know, we have to do our best to put it right. You know, we know the most side is going to win, but we still have a job to do. The victory is already won. The battle's already right. won. You know. Right. We're trying to like you said from the beginning, we're trying to go into the darkness to basically rescue people and show them, look, here's the but here's the way out. Exactly. So right after we did the show Nostradamus, it was really almost going to be a two part show, which was Nostradamus and Apocalypse twenty twelve. So the second show was Apocalypse twenty twelve. And when we did Apocalypse 2012, we were literally at the door to 2012. And it's not one of those things where we got caught up in the doomsday prophecies and everything, and then after it didn't happen, say, okay, let's do a show about it. No, we did these shows before. <laughs> so 
to let people know that if you're getting caught up in this madness and foolishness, you need to stop. We did these shows before it came to pass because we knew that through the words of Jesus Christ, we had a more sure word of prophecy. And we knew that these things that people were predicting, whether it was the Harold campings or any of these doomsday cults that were out there, anything about the end, that it was not going to be what they said it was going to be. And there was an even bigger and there was an even even bigger theme that we wanted to really, really tackle with Apocalypse twenty twelve. And that's the theme that we speak of in the synopsis, which was you have all of these people where they got the doomsday bunkers, the the storing up weapons, ammo, all the things that they're doing. But the whole thing we were saying is even if this was the so called end of the world, how many people are preparing to meet their Lord? How many people are preparing for the world of Jesus Christ? And the answer was nobody. And that's why we really, really addressed it with the show Apocalypse twenty twelve. So let's listen to the synopsis for that and then go into some of the things that we really brought out to the spirit pertaining to the folly of that doctrine and how it fell apart right in the days and months immediately afterwards. Darkness to Light, Apocalypse 2012. Of all the end time predictions and doomsday scenarios that have been spread throughout the world, few are as compelling and engrossing as the prophecies surrounding December 21st, 2012. It is a date that has been forever seared into our consciousness, and over the past few years, television, radio, the internet, and even major motion pictures have been inundated with apocalyptic rhetoric concerning ancient mind prophecies of when and how the world will end. Many notable scientists and religious scholars believe that we are in a time of growing conflicts and upheaval in the world which will culminate in a global cataclysm very soon. As the days wind down, many have sold their homes, quit their jobs, created storehouses of food, gathered weapons and munitions, built bunkers and even joined militant doomsday communities. But for all the apocalyptic fever and religious hysteria that has gripped the world, how many people are preparing themselves for the kingdom of God? If this day truly did mark the end of all things, how many of us would be prepared to meet our Lord? Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we expound on the biblical guide to surviving 2012 known as repentance through Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed. So, mm-hmm. 
that's really what it was, teaching people about repentance through Jesus Christ. When you read in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the apostles of Jesus Christ asked him a very direct question about when and how the times would come for his return. And they believed that right before his ascension, they were like, okay, is this the time that you're going to return the world back to us? And this is his answer. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. So Jesus, out of his own mouth, let them know it's not for you to know what the Father is doing. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that he set up for the world to be reestablished under the proper rulership. That's not something that they had were privy to. But even as you go forward into the book of Matthew 24, going into the days of the end, the Lord told them something even more important. Not only are you not privy to it, what did the Lord say? He said, I'm not privy to it either. Nope. In the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, until that day, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in which watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So with those scriptures as our guide, we were able to tell people consistently December 21st, 2012 is not what you think it is. And then mm -hmm. had to come back and explain to them, and even if it was, even if the Lord put it on the calendar that this is the day I'm coming back, did he tell you to get ready with weapons and ammo? Did he tell you to get ready with a storehouse of food? Did he tell you to, to do it with a doomsday bunker? Did he tell you to get ready by doing any of this foolishness that people were doing? Or did he tell you something very, very simple? One word, repent. And that's really what the theme of that show was all about. Did you have anything to add to that? Well, that's not really, that's not very entertaining. You can't make money off repentance. Nothing um, for a good movie. It's not very entertaining. You know, you got to look at yourself. Who wants to really look at themselves or, you know, value themselves or, that really the things that they've done in their life or the things they haven't done in their life. But that's what the scriptures is showing us to do, you know, to look at ourselves and to make that change. We can change. A lot of people they don't want to change. They feel like no, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with my life. So, you know, I'm gonna just buy these these weapons and munitions and, and prepare. 
you know, and it's like you're saying, you know, even if it was, you wouldn't be prepared. What what you've done would not be sufficient. And I want to read this is Revelation 6. This is Revelation 6 and 12. It says, And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And there's another scripture that speaks about there being an earthquake like there's never been on the earth. That's why they make all these movies about there's going to be a shift of the tectonic plates, and, you know, we don't know if we're going to survive, and the polar uh, uh, caps is going to shift. But this is all spoke about in Revelation. They won't give Revelations or the Most High's book, the Bible, any credence. 13, it says, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Even the fig tree cast her untimely figs when she's shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island was moved out of their place. All these things about these doomsday scenarios, but they won't put it or equate it to the return of Jesus Christ. And it says, And the heaven departed as a scroll, and when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place, places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sit on the throne, and the wrath of the Lamb. So what is it speaking about? When you speak about apocalypse or there being an apocalyptic event, it's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. It says, For the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? So whatever preparation you made, you haven't prepared enough. Because the preparation that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to reform. We're supposed to be transformed in the renewing of our mind and repent. Yes, indeed. All praises. So those were the Brother Gadai one's picks. And when we come back from the break, then we're going to go through some of the shows that I thought were very impactful going into what the Most High had allowed us to do, the works that he allowed us to do, and really how we were able to address a lot of issues that are, were prevalent in this world through the eye of the scriptures and really, really explain the evils that were at work in this world, whether they were overtly evil, whether they were subtle in their evil, or things that people did not know were evil at all, and really bring that to the light as well. So as we go into our first break we're going to listen to the original intro to from darkness to light and when we return from break we're going to listen to the second intro to from darkness to light we actually had three themes for the show and i know it may seem like it's just self-promotion and just going into like okay a musical theme that's not what, what it was really about so when we come back for break we're going to explain what was the reason for the transition in the show's themes and how it relates to the teachings that we were doing on the show all right. So stay tuned. This is from Darkness to Light, and we'll be right back. This is the Body of Christ Church, and you are listening to our program, From Darkness to Light, where we examine and reprove spiritual wickedness in today's world, as well as providing instructions on repentance for those overtaken in the sins of witchcraft and occult practices. Join us each week on our mission to fulfill the words written in the book of Acts 
chapter 26, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Body of Christ Church Radio Network broadcasts seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the BOCC. Listen to our archive broadcasts or check us out while we are live on the air. Come and visit us in the virtual living room at 2 o'clock p.m. on Sundays where we examine current topics according to the scriptures. Are you looking for the truth? Can you handle the truth? Find out on Mondays at 8 o'clock p.m. It doesn't matter what church you attend or philosophy you believe, take the challenge to see Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. The world is engrossed in darkness, but it shall be destroyed by the light. Check out From Darkness to Light at 7 o'clock p.m. on Wednesdays where all manner of witchcraft, occult practices, and Satanism is exposed for what it is. Before the light comes, it's time to awake. On Thursday at 8 o'clock p.m., if you are seeking salvation, listen to Repentance is the Key, Fridays at 7 o'clock p.m. And after you've listened to all of these shows, find out how we will become kings and priests, Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock a.m. All shows are on Eastern Standard Time. Remember to check out The Body of Christ Church, seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the B-O-C-C. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash T-H-E-B-O-C-C. Shalom. This is the Body of Christ Church, and you are listening to our program, From Darkness to Light, where we examine and reprove spiritual wickedness in today's world, as well as providing instructions on repentance for those overtaken in the sins of witchcraft and occult practices. Join us each week on our mission to fulfill the words written in the book of Acts, chapter 26, verse 18 to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. We run towards light, now darkness We're back from darkness to light. 
like to thank everyone that's called in to the show, everyone that's in the chat room, and we're going to hand it back over to the brother Akrai. Yes, indeed. That was that was a walk down memory lane. But like we were bringing out, when we did the first intro to the show, you know, people, the whole joke was when we first started Darkness to Light, there were some people that used to say, well, you know what, Akrai, I cannot listen to that show at night. It makes me scared. You know, I have to listen to that show during the day. And other people were saying, oh, it was a scary show. There was one show that we did. It was like probably the first, the very first show we ever did. And it was, the name of the show was Our Mission. And the show started with me literally, and (laughs) in retrospect, I don't even know how much of a good idea it was, but it was a very honest testimony of the different things that I had gone through that led us to decide to do the show, the different things I had gone through in the world. And after the show was over, I called one of the brothers, and I was like, okay, well, how do you think the show was? And it was almost like a three-second pause, like, um, (laughs) I don't think many people are going to understand that. So (laughs) next, when we started doing the shows after that, those were the shows with the themes were really just hitting on specific themes, and that's when I started to get a lot better feedback. People said, okay. These shows are actionable, something that people can actually hear and address and deal with certain issues. So I was happy mm. about that, even though people still said the show was scary. Mm. So then later on, we started changing the different tone of a lot of the shows, and that's where the second theme really comes in. Well, if you listen to it, it's a lot, it's a lot milder, softer, and it's a little not it still has this edge to it. But the reason why we did that, it was a very, it was a conscious decision to do that because a lot of people during that time, the feedback that we got about a lot of the shows, people weren't saying, okay, I was scared to listen to the show. I was really spooky or this, that, and the other, because that was never the stigma that we really wanted to attach to the show. And during the second year of doing the shows, a lot of the feedback that we were getting, and, and this is something that, you know, Godiwan you can attest to is that a lot of people were coming back and the word that they were using for the show, they weren't saying scary anymore. They were saying educational. And that was when yes. people were like, you know what? I really, really learned a lot from that show. It was very educational. I learned a lot. I I see where you did the research. And, you know, around that same year, we started doing the live binders, making the shows more interactive and allowing the listeners to really see and hear firsthand where we got our information from with the live binder. So you could click on the live binder, open it up, see the very same articles that we're referencing. You can click on the videos and hear the exact interviews where we where we got our audio clips from. So everything was very transparent. So you knew that we weren't just out there speaking off the top of our heads. We were going into the scriptures addressing these very, very real issues, but these issues were things that you could see and touch and taste for yourself and know that it was very real. So that was really the difference between what the show started as and what it became. But And if I could just jump in at that point before you continue on, a lot of people, what they equated our show was like, it was like, 
the tales from the side, even the intro. And I just want to play a little bit of that so people can understand. about that some of those first shows we did some of those first shows that we did it was like a tell from the dark side because we exposed people to things that yeah to them everything was fine there was no monsters even people that was in the scriptures it's like what there's, there's demons and things like and it's like that's real <laughs> yeah and it was like putting the connections to show people like how these things and how and so people really begin to wake up like, oh my God, you know. So a lot of those shows made this, you know, you know when things are real, that's when it's really scary. Right. So we made we made it real for people and to be able to connect the dots themselves. That scared the hell out of people, just to put it quite frankly, you know. But it's like you got to have trust and faith in the Most High, you'd be all right. But even with what you just now brought out, I think that was very surprising to me at first from the beginning, too, because we're doing shows and we're condemning witchcraft and and sorcery and alchemy and all these things, and we had brothers and sisters in the church. And we're not talking about people who just came to the church. We're talking about people that have been around for a long time. We're like, well, that stuff isn't real, is it? And we're like, what do you think the scripture is talking about? (laughs) What do you think that was? So the Heavenly Father is so upset and offended at this imaginary sin that people are doing. So not only that, the Heavenly Father is so offended, he says, I'm going to put you to death if you do it, but it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So it just was one of those things that really, really caught me off guard to realize how many people who were in Christ who had no idea that there were things out there like that. And that's one of the reasons why even doing this show, it was one of those things we're explaining to even brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, listen, just because it's a sin that you haven't encountered in this form, you're still dealing with it. The demons of lust, the demons of of hatred, jealousy, envy, demons of fornication, those are all things that you're dealing with even if you don't understand that they're spirits. And I think that with this show, we really started to even explain a lot of that to brothers and sisters who were in Christ, letting them know that the spiritual wickedness in this world that you think that you 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 think it might look like something out of a horror movie, like a demon with wings and horns in his head. No, it might be the woman walking down the street. It might be the man walking down the street. It might be that money that you are idolizing. It might be that person that you're jealous of, and that jealousy is your demon. So it, it was really just very, very educational to a lot of people who were in Christ as well. 
So when we started to do the show, there were other shows that we did that we actually have to just make mention of because we put it out there on our Facebook page and asked some people to give us comments. And some of the shows that people thought were impactful, the brother Josiah that does the show on what he does, the virtual living room, which is actually the first blog talk radio show that we've ever done. One of the shows that he commented on was politics, the lesser of two evils, which was really going into chronicling how so many politicians, their careers soared to greater heights after they were involved in scandals and how you would have thought that it would have been the exact opposite and how what people teach the theme is in politics is that you have to choose the lesser of the two evils. We understand that all politicians are corrupt, but since they're all corrupt, just choose the person you dislike the least. And just exposing how as Christians, it's never our job to choose evil at all. Mm. Another, it's not really a show, it was an entire series of shows that the brother Kakumgabar commented on. You know, Kakumgabar is the brother that does Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor? And one of the series that we did on Darkness Alike that he really, really loved was Antichrist Superstars. And Antichrist Superstars, I would imagine that in retrospect, it's very similar to the show he does, Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor? What we did with that series, we took these men who claimed to be pastors or claimed to be spiritual leaders or gurus, and they claimed to be, many of them also claimed to be Christians. Some of them actually claimed to be Christ. And we went through explaining the different things about their doctrines we did a show on Jose Luis Miranda, who claimed to be Jesus Christ and the Antichrist at the same time. We did a show on a man called John of God, who was in South America, who Oprah was actually sending people down to South America to be healed from him. We did a man a show on a man named Bazarian, who looked like a carbon copy of Caesar Borgia, the false image of Jesus Christ, and he's living in Russia in in a barren wasteland of snow and ice, walking around in white robes with long hair like he's like he's the the Renaissance version of Jesus and he wrote a book called The Last Testament and people were looking at him like he's Christ. Then of course you had David Koresh, we did a show on him and his branch Davidians right before they which right before they were destroyed by the government and set on fire. We also did a show on Jim Jones. We actually did two shows on Jim Jones and the People's Temple and how his madness led to that massacre down in Guyana. And the last show that we did was also a two-part series, which was another one of the Brother ones, which was the last show we did on Antichrist Superstars, which was Charles Manson, and going into mm. the different demons that he had and the wickedness of his doctrine. And I think that that was really one of the things that blew people's mind the most on the Manson show was the fact that nobody would think of a madman as Charles Manson having a doctrine. But he had a very definite doctrine, and that was one of those things that people really had their minds blown going into how Manson was dealing with the doctrine of Christ and self and the Christ consciousness, which is endorsed by so many different celebrities. Oprah endorsed it and all these different things that people are teaching, not knowing that they have dark satanic origins. So those are some shows that um, we'll probably put the links in the chat room 
so people can go back and look at those for themselves when they have a moment. But moving on, the show that I wanted to deal with and some of the some of my choices as shows that I thought were very, very impactful, the first show that I really wanted to deal with was a show called Born This Way, The Science of Justifying Sin. And the reason why I wanted to deal with this show is because around that time there was a lot of talk about the gay gene and people being born gay and things of that nature, which is really not news to many people. It's been a debate that's been going on for quite some time, a long time. But the thing that really blew my mind is that while I was in the process of putting that show together, I kept running into more and more articles about the science of sin and going into predispositions to different to different sins that the Bible speaks of, and that's the easiest way I can say it, because there were literally people saying, okay, well, this man is a mass murderer, but when I looked at his brain, he had a brain of a mass murderer, or when I look at this person's brain, he had the brain of a person that was going to cheat on his wife, or when I look at this person's brain, they had a gay brain, and it's like, really? And so it was one of those things where I was really, really taken aback by the fact that for for nearly every sin that was in the Bible, everything that the Lord commanded us not to do, that there was not only a scientific explanation, but a scientific diagnosis that was given for each sin. And when I understood just how prevalent that evil was, that's when I knew that we were going to have to do a show addressing the science of sin. And that was so. If you had anything to add on that, please do before we um play the yeah. Just introduction. just briefly, it, it just shows that you know that's so so anti Christ because Christ is saying we have to be transformed. That means we have to be changed in something else. So if you're told from the day that you're born, you know you're this way and you can only be this way. That means that you can't repent. It's just ingrained in you. You know, a lot of people say this. It's just the way I am. And now you have, you know, some scientists say, well, yeah, that's true because your brain is a certain way and you can't change, you can't be anything different. And that's so untrue with Christ. And for a lot of people, you know, that leads into hopelessness. You know, well, I've got a, a, a adultery a, a brain. There's nothing I can do. I've got, a, I've got a gay gene. You know, I'm homosexual from birth. There's nothing I can do about it. Even if I wanted to do something about it, I can't do anything about it. It just creates hopelessness in people. So let's listen to this. From darkness to light, born this way, the science of justifying sin. Man has always gloried in his ability to control his surroundings. Ancient man tamed the animals. Explorers tamed the wild and tamed the sea, while conquerors tamed other people. Today, modern man has triumphed over diseases, explored space, extended his life, and to some degree even harnessed the power of nature itself. Yet despite the great pride that man places in becoming ruler of all he surveys, there is one thing that man claims to have no control over, himself. 
Scientists of today claim to have discovered a genetic origin for nearly every sin in the Bible, from theft to murder, infidelity, and even homosexuality. So is it the fate of man to be forever ruled by his own base instincts? And why would God give us commandment to abstain from sin when the very fabric of sin is in our DNA? Are we truly born this way? Or has the world been deceived by the satanic delusion that servitude to sin is our only destiny? Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we expose the satanic doctrine of the science of sin. Wow. So, looking at that in retrospect and seeing that and, and listening to that introduction and that synopsis, that's one of those shows, and like we were bringing up before, I can play this show today, next year, and probably sadly, even years to come in the future, where it wouldn't even be a question. People would probably have already accepted the fact that we're just born that way and there's nothing you can do about it because that's really where this world is headed right now. There are so many people that believe that and very few people accept the idea that through the scriptures and the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have choice. What they're throwing away is like, like we said in the synopsis, is Man does take great pride in controlling everything around him. But then they also take great pride in saying, well, we don't have a choice when wicked things happen. We would just, that's just the way it is. And there were two things that came out. There were two strong points that we really dealt with in that show. And the first point that we were dealing with was the whole thing that you were bringing out, the die one, about repentance. Because the point is this. If science can prove or if they believe that they can find a scientific link between sin and your DNA, then would you really have to repent from any sins? I heard a pastor give a sermon one day where he basically said no one should have to repent from being being gay. Asking someone to repent from being gay is like asking me to repent from being black. That's what a black pastor said so what he was equating was his blackness or his the color of his skin which of course he had no power or control over to a person's sexual preference and that was one of the main things that we had to really deal with in the show is attacking that doctrine and letting people understand that this whole science so-called was contrary to what the scriptures teach us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about the exact same things. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid prof avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. So when he spoke about the oppositions of science, falsely so-called, is because people think that the scriptures are in this great war against science, and that's a lie. True science and the scriptures get along perfectly fine, but when they start throwing in this madness that they're throwing in, saying that people are going to be whatever they're going to be and you have no choice in the matter, that's when it just goes way out the window. Because one of the things that the scriptures tell, tells us is that sin is an invention. 
and how we go after the imaginations of our own heart. The scriptures also tell you that in the book of Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, when the Lord was about to send the flood upon the world. And it reads, And God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Why did it grieve the Lord at his heart looking at the wickedness of man? Because man, instead of following the commandments of God, gave himself over to every imagination of his heart. And that's what's going on in the world today. But the difference is that today it's being justified by people saying, well, that's just the way they were born. They're a psychopath. That doesn't make it right. But that's the reason why they committed that murder, because that's what they were. That's why, that's how they were born. Or they are homosexual. They like a man sleeping with a man, woman sleeping with a woman. That's just how they were born. A child grows up, and the little boy says, you know what? I like those high heels, and I like that dress. He's five years old. But you have mothers talking about, well, I'm going to dress him in a dress and high heels and put pink berets in his hair, but in his hair because I don't want to damage his self-esteem. That's the world we live in today. When you look in the scriptures, the Heavenly Father tells you that there is right and there is wrong. There are my commandments, and you have a choice to keep my commandments or not keep them. But don't break my commandments and try to justify it by a faulty design. And see, that's what was the, that's what the second point that we wanted to address in that show. And I think that um, it was addressed, but it's, it's something that's going to have to be addressed from now till the Lord returns. And that is how we sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. That's a continuing theme that we touch on many shows, the theme of what it means to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people, letting people understand that the Heavenly Father and Christ are not vicious, evil, cruel tyrants who are trying to destroy us and subject us in this fascist world with evil commandments that we are bound to bound to keep. Scriptures are showing us that the Lord is giving us a better way of life and doing things than what we have concocted for ourselves. But if people go for this, if people accept this doctrine of born this way, and they accept this doctrine of this is how they were created, if they accept the doctrine of, well, you know, in my DNA is this gene that causes me to sin, then what does that say about the Heavenly Father? They see him as somebody that's so wicked and twisted and cruel that he's going to create you with all type of defects and sin in your body, then give you commandments not to give in. That's how they see the Lord. They see him as, that's why people in the movies, he's a sadist, he's a masochist. Why? Because he made you gay, then commanded you not to be gay. Or he made you a murderer, then commanded you not to murder. Or he made you a whoremonger, but then told you not to whoremonger. That's the way the people of this world see the Heavenly Father. Even when we started pulling some of the clips for the show, one of the clips that we pulled was a, a Dr. Phil show, where Dr. Phil had an expert came on to explain to people that infidelity is actually in your brain, and there was an infidelity gene. So if you would, Godwin, can you please play that clip of Dr. Phil explaining about the cheater, the cheater brain, the brain of a cheater? Uh, and I just want to say that uh, on that 
whoremonger and gene. A lot of people would say, well, it made me a whoremonger. They would say, well, well, God made me so pretty. You know, that's why he wanted me to be with a whole bunch of women. You know, he wouldn't have made me so pretty if he didn't want, want me to be, you know, attracted or people to be attracted to me. That's the kind of logic that they'll throw into it. You know, they'll break it down to the lowest common denominator. But let's listen to this. He is a famous daytime talk show host, but his mind reading among his many skills. Dr. Phil is here, and he says a brain scan may be able to reveal whether a man will cheat on his wife. It's information a woman named Angela could have used before marrying Jose. I was married to Jose for three months before I found out he was cheating on me. I always have been the kind of guy to just hook up when something comes along. He was with his girlfriend while we were planning the wedding and even when he asked me to marry him. I confess to eight affairs. He's a chronic liar, and he's very good at it. And Dr. Phil McGraw is with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Harry. Well, that was a train wreck waiting to happen, I guess. Can people, though, be born with a cheating brain? Well, here's the thing. There are, there are, a, lot of, there are a lot of traits that go into this, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, a lot of this is learned. A lot of it's social, probably... 70%, something like that. Right. But there are things in our makeup that make us at high risk for this. Right. There are certain brain patterns that make us high risk for this. Mm-hmm. They have now identified the gene that they believe may have a contribution to this as well. So, yes, how your brain is configured, how it's wired, right. can be a huge contributing factor. Let's talk, let's, we have some graphics right. of a cheating brain and a non-cheating brain. Let's put them up. <clears throat> and what what are we looking at here? All right, what you're seeing here on the left, you're seeing the brain of a cheater. What you're seeing is activity. It's busy. <laughs> well, it's, it, it is very busy, and the red shows activity, and this is at a deep level. And if you see this in the front of the brain, then it can make you compulsive. You get caught in a in a loop oh, okay. where you have to keep repeating just mm-hmm. compulsive behavior. Right. On, on the right, you see the non-cheating brain where all of the activity is in the back. Most of our brain activity is around the cerebellum, and that's where you see this activity in the back. So a huge difference. And so you, you find these people that have a history of cheating. You compare their brains to normal, right. and you see a dramatically different. Now, that's, yeah. just, one, that's just one brain scan. Now. It's- what, can I ask you about Jose? Did you do Jose's brain? We did. And what did you find Well, out? it looked very much like the brain of a cheater. So Jose's brain looks like the brain of a cheater. Jose's brain looks like the brain of a cheater. So the whole joke is this. You listen to these guys and, and just show you how funny it is. The first thing he said is, well, is there this gene for infidelity? Well, of course, well, we know most of it is learned behavior. Probably 70% of it is learned behavior. But then you had a cheater's brain, and it's, you had high risk, and this is what it's going to be, and he has the brain of a cheater. So they're going to throw something out there like, okay, well, yeah, it's something that you learn, and it's learned behavior, and it's just what you want to do. But then they're going to come back and say, but the science shows that it's still what you are. And that's the hypocrisy of what they're dealing with. Because instead of just saying, listen, regardless of what you have a predisposition for, you still make the choices that you make. And that's one of the things that we address in the show, too, is the idea of predisposition. Because is predisposition a myth? In some cases, no. And we explain that in the show as well. There are some children who have parents that are raving alcoholics, and we know that certain things get passed down to the children. There's children that's born in this world, there are children that are born in this world addicted to drugs because their, their parents 
would you their mother was smoking crack while they were babies in the womb, or their mother was shooting up heroin while they were babies in the womb, and they were born addicted to drugs. So we know that there are children who come into this world with disadvantages like that. We know that there are children that come into this world with different challenges based on predisposition. Even with predisposition showing that there are things that you are more susceptible to, we still, through Jesus Christ, have the choice of what things we're going to go into, what things we're not going to go into, what sins we're going to indulge in, and what sins we're not going to indulge in. And that being said, that was the theme of the show, going into how greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In the book of Matthew 5:48, the Lord Jesus Christ told us, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's showing you that we are commanded to break away from the conformity to the wickedness and sins of this world and conform to the image of Christ. And lastly, I'll read Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So the main thing that the Lord was explaining to us, that if you are going to follow him, you must learn to deny yourself. So for every brother or sister that we know in Christ right now today, don't think that they don't have any demons tugging at them, and don't think they don't have any inherent desires and wicked imaginations that are pulling them back into the world. But guess what? Every single brother and sister, man and woman, that you know that is in the spirit of Christ, they have made that conscious decision to deny themselves or whatever lust is tugging them. So whether it be witchcraft, adultery, whoremongering, murder, anger, jealousy, rage, you name it, we have it. But the difference is, is that we have made that conscious decision to serve our Lord, not giving power over the, those wicked, evil imaginations and demons, but giving the Holy Spirit power over us. So if you had anything to add to that, Godwin, please do. Uh, you, you said it all. That was that was excellent. That was excellent. I think we just praises. move on to the next clip. <laughs> <laughs> all praises. So another one of the shows that we dealt with over the last year, I believe it was last year, we dealt with a show by, that was called Monsters. Now the thing I liked about um, some shows that we do, some shows that we do are really heavy duty and we just, bringing the big guns. And uh, and that's why Kadar makes the joke, hey, I'm one of the little guns. Because I say, we're well, going to bring in the big guns. And Kadar says, well, I'm a little gun. But, of course, he's a big gun, too. So 
So when we do certain shows, like we did the show Blackout, which was black atheists um, profiled, and we brought in the brother Kakum Gabar and the brother Kadar to be on that show, along with me and Gadai one. Then we did the show on YOLO, which was um, the motto of a the motto of a wicked generation, and we brought those two brothers on as well. So one of the other shows that we all four of us did together was a show called Monsters. Now Monsters was a very very disturbing show, and the reason why it was a disturbing show is because the whole concept of the show was dealing with the different crimes that are going on in the world today, especially crimes that are committed by the younger parts of our generation. Some of these crimes were random murders. Some of these crimes were brutal rapes and robberies. Some of these crimes were just people getting beat to death. But then it progressed to crimes that were horrific in nature, such as three individuals who had all murdered their mother. And when you look at the fashion of these murders, they were horrific. There were two mothers that were decapitated, one that was strangled and had her face bashed in by a son, then she was raped by her own son. There was another where a woman had beat her mother with a hammer, then took a knife and removed her eyes. And as I was putting the show together, I noticed the pattern of something very horrible. There were three cases where women who were murdered, the mothers that were either murdered or badly badly mutilated, their children not only defiled them and destroyed them, but in three cases they removed eyes from their skulls. And as I started to go through that happening, one of the things I spoke to the brother Kakumgabar about, because the brother Kakum, he's he worked in law enforcement, he's now retired, but he was a detective. And one of the things that happens in crime is a term called MO, which is modus operandi. Modus operandi and MO just basically explains what a criminal has a tendency to do. For example, if you see somebody that, if you are investigating a person that broke into a home and stole a TV, then when it's time for you to look at the different criminals in that vicinity, you're going to go through the records of, of people who are thieves and burglars because you know that that's their MO, that's their modus operandi. What do they do? They break into homes and they steal. If you are looking for a serial rapist in the neighborhood, then you're going to go through your archives of the rapists and see what people are in this area that are serial rapists. They have a tendency to knock women over the head and try to have sex with them. You're not going to look through the profile of a serial rapist to find a burglar, and you're not going to look through the profile of the burglars to find a mass murderer because everybody has their different M.O. So when you look at what was going on, is we began to identify an M.O. that went beyond just a person, a place, or a thing, and the M.O. was basically identifying himself as a demonic force. And that's really the spiritual aspects of this show, Darkness to Light, that we can deal with. We can go to those places where a lot of people can't go. And do the Spirit explain to people that, listen, you're looking at this person who is trying to give you an explanation 
of why they beat their mother with a hammer until their her arms broke and then took a kitchen knife and cut her eyes out. And they say, okay, well, they must be mentally ill. Then you had another young guy, young black guy, who was in the news over the last few months where he beat his mother with a hammer, tried to strangle her, and she wouldn't die. So then he bashed her brains in, dragged her into the bedroom. Then he says he lost his virginity to her corpse. And they were asking him, well, do you feel like you are mentally ill or sick? And he's like, no. And so it gets to the point where what happened between you being at some point sane to you going into the most unspeakable, abominable acts the world has ever seen. And it was just really going into the spiritual aspects of these crimes and these wickedness and explaining how people have allowed themselves to become vessels of wickedness and evil, causing themselves to become those monsters that we fear today. So if you had anything else to add, please do, or you can begin by playing the introduction to the show Monsters. Well, I mean, that show was so good that I did it on Kings and Priests, not only showing, you know, the horrific side, but how people become monsters in many other ways, you know, whether it be adultery with a man, you know, committing adultery with another man's wife or woman. She's committing adultery and leave a whole family and, and her husband and go with, uh, uh, another man and just completed, you know, people can be monsters in so many ways. And, and that's, it all, it's all goes full circle, Akurai, because we make those connections and really to show people like, look, evil is not what you think it is. Okay. It's subtle. It can be overt and it can be nasty, but it's at its nastiness when it's not seen. So we make those connections that people cannot see. They're trapped in it. They're dying with it, and they can't see that as evil. So, right. you know, we did the extreme on Doctor's Light. I did the the more subtle on Kings and Priests. Like, look, you dealing with you, you might be a monster. You know, you going and sleeping with another man's wife, or you got this hatred where you you got so much hatred in you that you ready to kill somebody. You know, you're a monster. So let's listen to this clip. From darkness to light? Monsters. What if I told you that monsters are very real, and they are among us? They have overrun the streets of the ghettos and slums. Their reach extends to the gated communities of your suburban neighborhoods. They infest the schools attended by your children. Even at this very moment, a monster may be lurking in your own home. Monsters are vicious and cruel. Monsters are destructive and horrifyingly evil. Monsters are heartless and have an utter contempt for all life. Monsters do not show pity to old or young. Monsters do not fear the laws of God or man. Monsters live by no code and respect no authority. Monsters cannot feel guilt or shame, nor can they feel sympathy or empathy. 
Monsters exist only to feed their own ungodly lust with no care of consequences. They attack on a whim. They harm others because they can, and they kill for fun. To see the faces of these monsters, one need only tune into your local news. From gang violence to school shootings, rapes, robberies, murders, and random acts of unprovoked violence, the generation of today's youth have been transformed to the stuff of nightmares. The Holy Bible tells us that in the last days, unclean women would give birth to monsters. But how did this happen? When did it begin? And what enemy is to blame? Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we use the words of the Holy Bible to expose the evil that has corrupted a generation, giving rise to our greatest fears. And see, that's, that's what I wanted to deal with, the, the hidden evil that was hiding. I know we did where, you know, people was cutting people's head off and we exposed that that demon that was on people. But there's so many things that people are doing that, that they don't think that is that bad or it's just the way that things are. You know, I'm a... I'm, I'm a a product of of my environment, but it's no. You're a monster. You evil. You selling drugs to your people. You're evil. You're a monster. You know. You. I did a drive by. You're a monster. You just as much as a monster. Someone that cut off their mother's head and plucked the eyes out in a, a, a satanic ritual. Yeah, bro. I mean, it's it's one of those things where we did the show and we just had to explain those different spirits that people allow in. Like when we go to Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty one, and this is one of the scriptures we dealt with, it says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's youth, use and prepared for every good work. So the concept that the Lord was given us in the book of Timothy was this. That in this great house, on this world, you're going to have people that are gold and silver, which is valuable. Then you're also going to have people that are going to prove themselves to be wood and stone, wood and earth, no value at all. But the whole thing is that if we could purge ourselves from wickedness and evil, we could become vessels of honor that are prepared for the master's use. A vessel is a container. A vessel is something that holds something else. So a cup is a vessel because it holds water. A bowl is a vessel because it can hold whatever you put into it, a plate, so on and so forth. So the Lord said that our bodies are vessels as well, meaning that we are containers. But what are we supposed to contain? We are supposed to have the Holy Spirit inside of us, which prepares us to do good works. But what happens in this world is that we have seen a pattern where our people Really, I won't even say it like that. I'll say everybody, every single person on the planet, with the exception of those who have repented in Christ and follow the Holy Spirit, if you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you, if you do not contain the Holy Spirit inside of you through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, then what spirit is inside of you? At any point in time, 
you can have one of these wicked, evil spirits inside of you. That's the reason why what Godwin was bringing out was very true. Even though we did the show Monsters going into the extreme, he did a show Monsters as well on Kings and Priests, which really exposed how this sin can really infect and take over anybody who's not in the spirit of Christ. So as we started going through monsters from the aspect of murder and theft and rape as opposed to as opposed to the aspects of adultery and whoremongering, but it's really all one and the same. It's that same wicked evil spirit that comes upon us, but the ones who allow themselves to become monsters are the ones who allow themselves to be taken over and become vessels for evil instead of vessels meet for good. Also in that show, we dealt with Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs 30, verse 11 through 14. And it reads, There is a generation that curses their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. There is a generation... Oh, how lofty are their eyes, and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords, and their jaw, jaw teeth as knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among men. And when we went over that, because you had issues that we dealt with on that show, and cases we dealt with on that show, where people, young groups of kids were marauding and beating up 80-something-year-old World War II veterans taking money from them, bashing their face in, and it's like, is that the times we're living in? Where young children are running around robbing the elderly and beating them up for no reason whatsoever, but just because they were there? Or rising up against their parents, doing such wickedness to their parents that you can, that's beyond what you can imagine? And that's what we're really dealing with is what the Lord was explaining to us in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, is that we are in that time. We are in the time of that wicked generation. We are living this whole entire scriptures. So when we tell people that we're living the Bible, they don't understand what that really means. We're living it. But that's why we have to keep exposing the things that we're exposing, bringing out the things that we're bringing out, because it's just as relevant today as the time when it was written. And one of the main themes that we deal with with every show, which is the main theme of every show we deal with on From Darkness to Light, is repentance. So even dealing with something as wicked as the cases that we were dealing with on that show, we still had to end with the message to people, letting them know, that regardless of how vile you have allowed yourself to become and regardless of how wicked and depraved the sins you committed are, wherever you are, if you're hearing the words of this truth and the words of this Bible, remember these words. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, 
and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So hearing those words, we pray now as we prayed even then, these words would go forth and that the Lord would bless the hearts and minds of the people that hear it and that need it the most to understand that even you have a way back to the Lord if you choose it. And did you have anything to add before we go to the final show that we're going to review? Let's let's go to the final. And the final show that we were going to review is a show that was literally years in the making. And it was a show that was meant to be the final show in a series that we did called The Hijacking of Christianity. In the show, the hijacking in the series, the hijacking of Christianity, we touched on the Pope, Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, and many other things. But we meant to end that series off with Constantine, who was the greatest criminal when it came to the hijacking of Christianity, from the true Christianity that Jesus Christ gave us to what this world defines as Christianity, which is basically paganism, blasphemy, idolatry, all-mongering, and every other sin that's under the sun. So without further ado, let's play the intro to the show, Constantine, and then we'll say a few words about it. From darkness to light, Constantine. The Apostle Luke warned the early church that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God, and at no time in history was this tribulation greater than under Greco-Roman rule. From crucifixions, burnings, and beheadings, to being sawed asunder or fed alive to wild beasts, the followers of Jesus drank the cup of pain, suffering, and death to show their devotion to the one true God. Yet seemingly overnight, the Roman persecutions came to an abrupt end. A young Roman Caesar, with aspirations of empire-wide conquest, is said to have seen a life-changing vision which caused him to convert from his long-standing pagan religions to Christianity. But where do history and myth coincide? The rise of the Roman Emperor Constantine began a new era of peace, tolerance, and acceptance, and history surmises that Constantine was the catalyst that propelled Christianity from obscurity to the dominant religious superpower that it is today. But is this a Christianity that would be respected or even recognized by our Lord Jesus? Or was Constantine's conversion a skillful and diabolical attempt to unite a divided empire by amalgamating pagan mythology with Christian traditions. Join us today for another installment of From Darkness to Light as we examine the centuries-old question, did Constantine convert to Christianity or did he convert Christianity to paganism? We know the answer to that one. Yeah, so let's let's go into some of the answers to that one. In the mm-hmm. book of Acts, chapter 20, 
verse 28 through 31, the Apostle Paul foretells the destruction of the church. And he read, it reads, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Lord I'm sorry, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the to feed the church of God. And I'm gonna start that one over. Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight through thirty-one. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. So Paul was explaining that for three years I warned you all, night and day with tears in my eyes, that grievous wolves are going to enter this congregation and try to destroy it. But the beauty of it all is that the faith of Jesus Christ in the Holy Bible has remained, regardless of what people have taught against this word or how many religions or denominations or other wickedness was taught about this Bible. It still remains, and the truth is still there within those pages for anyone who's diligent enough to seek it out. But for those who are just going to go with the flow and say, well, this is what it is, and this is what I believe, and this is what my parents were, then this Bible is going to forever be beyond your understanding, and the truth of Jesus Christ is going to forever be beyond your reach. You are going to be the ones that the Scriptures prophesy of when it says, eyes to see and see not, ears to hear and hear not. When you start looking at the history and see what Constantine did to the church, it's not even a matter of if it happened. It's just a matter of historical record. The Darwin actually did classes on kings and priests where he brought out and read the documents where Constantine forbid Judaizing and changed the biblical Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week, which Constantine called Sunday or the venerable day of the sun. That's historical record. That's not a matter of speculation. It's not even up for debate. So the fact that people would sit back still to this day, know these things, and then say, well, the apostles of Jesus Christ met on the first day of the week when you read this scripture, so therefore the Sabbath day has changed to this. Or Jesus Christ rose on Sunday and Easter Sunday. He died on Good Friday, rose on Easter Sunday. Even though it doesn't add up in the scriptures, it doesn't make any sense according to the scriptures or just mathematics of how you're going to get three days and three nights from two days, it still goes to show you that people are going to go with their traditions rather than giving heed to the commandments of God. In the book of Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, it spoke about how times and laws were going to be changed. It spoke about this great king that was going to rise up that would know wise sentences and be great in his evil and how he was going to destroy people with peace and all these different things. Historically, we know that it was talking specifically about the time of the Greek captivity. And even if you want to align those scriptures with the Greek captivity, which we read about in the book of First and Second Maccabees, it can be attributed to a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. 
But when you look at the traits that this man had or the traits of these wicked antichrists that come into the world, the traits are the same, and they're not limited to just one person. Because when you look at Constantine, he did the exact same thing. In the book of Daniel, chapter 8, verse 25, it reads, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hands, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So you look at those scriptures as it pertains to someone like Constantine. How did he cause craft to prosper? By craftily bringing in pagan beliefs and traditions into the church and amalgamating all of those mythologies with the biblical holidays. So when we say, okay, we are keeping the Passover at the same time that the rest of the world is keeping, we are celebrating the Feast of Dedication while the rest of the world is celebrating Christmas. We are keeping the holidays that the Bible tells us to keep while the so-called Christians of this world are keeping every wicked pagan celebration under the sun. Even the Sabbath day that they keep is on the wrong day. And that was all thanks to Constantine. Mm -hmm. So it goes on in Daniel 7 and 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. So when you look at the concept of changing times and laws, did Constantine change times? Yes, he did. How did he change times? He changed the days of, he changed the calendar. He changed the entire, I'll say it again, he changed the entire calendar so that the pagan holidays would line up more closely to the biblical holidays and that he could amalgamate the two together so that Christians would accept pagan philosophies and beliefs. That's the reason why people celebrate this uh, celebrate October 31st, which is the witch's Sabbath, which is Halloween, which is Samhain, the worship of Samhain, and they say, well, it's All Saints Day and a day to honor the saints. That's the reason why they take December 25th, which is the winter solstice and the birthday of Nimrod, the birth of the sun, the birth of Sol Invictus, and every other sun god under the sun, Mithras, Apollo, even Constantine himself seen as an incarnation of the sun god, and then say, well, this is the birthday of Jesus Christ. And Constantine himself is the pseudo-Jesus Christ standing in place as the emperor. See, I don't think you realize what you just said, and I don't think many people understand it. As far as you said, yeah. it was to get it was to get Christians to accept paganism. What what, what history says it was to get pagans in the church, but it, that, according to the scriptures, it was really to dilute the message of Jesus Christ and really to erase it. So many people don't see the deception. That's how it's, it's perceived. Like, okay, Constantine, he wanted people to be more Christ-like, but really, what he wanted was the Christians to to leave their beliefs and to be more pagan. 
And interesting that you should put it like that, because although a lot of the listeners right now, we spoke about the Greek captivity, and a lot of the listeners right now may not be familiar with um, the apocryphal books, which go into the entire history of the Greek captivity, such as First Maccabees, where Antiochus Epiphanes made the decree that all nations and kingdoms should leave their customs and traditions and follow his beliefs. So much so that what he did was he outlawed the keeping of all the biblical commandments and said that if anybody did it, they would get put to death. But of course, what happened is the Israelites rose up and fought against him and won that great battle, won many great battles against him. And that's where we get the feast days, like the Feast of Dedication from, which is the rededication of the altar of God after it was destroyed and profaned. That word dedication, of course, meaning Hanukkah, or being translated as Hanukkah, which where you get the entire celebration of Hanukkah. But the point being is this. Constantine didn't make the mistake of his forebears in taking it up taking that issue up on the battlefield. What he did is he used craft, and through his crafty political endeavors, he was able to seduce the, the Christians in and get them to change. In the book of Ecclesiastes... Build you a church. Yeah, I'm going to build you a church. In the book of Ecclesiastes 7 and 7, it says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. So when it talks about oppression making a wise man mad, a, a wise person is going to be upset at injustice. But it says a gift can destroy his heart. A gift is like a bribe. I'm going to give you this gift, and all you have to do is turn the turn a blind eye to the wickedness that I'm doing. So when you look at what Constantine did for Christianity, it was the greatest gift or greatest bribe that Christianity was ever given. Because you have to understand, the Christians of that day were being persecuted, sawed in half, beheaded, fed to wild beasts in the arena, put on stakes and set on fire to bring, bring light in the night to the, to the Colosseum. So every wicked imagination you can imagine, every wicked atrocity you can imagine happened to the Christians of that day. Now imagine, if you will, that now the new emperor says, hey, you guys are being beheaded in the street. People are putting you on stakes and setting you on fire. People are putting you on the crosses, crucifying you, and putting nails in your hands and your feet. People are putting you in the arena and letting lions rip you to pieces. How about I let you live and give you peace, safety, security, and all these things that you ever wanted. I'll make you full citizens. And all you have to do is one thing. Keep my commandments and my laws. That was the gift that destroyed their heart because they agreed. And if you think about it, with your life on the line, that was the choice that many people had to make. If your life was on the line, what would you do? And you see what happened, the choices that our forefathers made, it was the wrong choice. Because what they did is said, okay, well, you know what? If it means that I will live, I will keep Christmas. If it means that I will live and my family will live, I will keep Easter. If it means that I will live and my family will live, I will 
worship on Sunday, the venerable day of the sun. If it means that I will live and my family will live, I will accept your philosophies. I will accept your doctrine. I will accept your unclean food. I will accept your vision of Jesus Christ. I will accept your image. I will accept your idols. I will accept this Christianity. And that was the end of the church as we knew it. Mark 7 and 7, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And that is the reason why we had to come back and make another show called Constantine's Holiday. And what was the whole theme of that show? One thing, explain to Christians why they don't keep biblical holidays. Because that was the thing. Every single person that you know that's a Christian, you have to explain to them why you don't keep these days. I'm a Christian, but I have to explain to people why I don't celebrate Christmas. I'm a Christian, but I have to explain to people why I don't celebrate Easter. I'm a Christian, but I have to explain to people why I don't keep the Sabbath on so-called Sunday. Those are the things that we deal with in this truth because the world has gone that far astray from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm. Absolutely. And um, this is the thing that I wanted to, a couple of scriptures I wanted to share. Um, and he's like, Constantine commanded. Well, when you look at Luke 6 and 46, it says, And why call me? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So what are some of the things that Christ said? Christ said in, in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what was one of the commandments that Christ gave? This is Acts 17. And Acts 17 and 30. It says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all and everywhere to repent. So this is what we this is what we always lead to is repentance. And when you deal with repentance, it makes you reevaluate everything. Everything that you deal with and saying, is this of God? Is this scriptural? Is this what God wants? Is this what God wants me to celebrate? Is this what God wants me to do? Is this what God wants me to drink? Is this what he wants me to eat? Is this the way he wants me to walk? Is this the way he wants me to talk? Is this what he wants to wear? It makes you evaluate your whole life when you deal with repentance. And that's why when you look at a lot of churches, repentance is is non-existence. When you look at, at Christmas, repentance is non-existence. When you look at Easter, repentance is non-existence because this is the very doctrine of Christ and this is what he commanded. So these holidays, they, they all like feel-good holidays and make you feel good and, and nice. But Christ dealt with repentance, and he know that people are ignorant. That's why he's winking at it, and he's he's giving them a buy. That's what repentance is about. That's why he came, and that's why he died. But he's commanding all men everywhere now to repent because you can no longer be ignorant. And that was you know one of the big uh, purposes of doing From Darkness to Light because there's so much witchcraft and different things and esoteric and occult things that's in the church or in everybody's daily life. You know, as we say, is is the uh, the new satanic age, which is really Satanism revamped to look pretty and look marketable. You know, Satan has good prints, good prints, the prince and power of the air, but it's still all about repentance, about you know, looking at ourselves and making ourselves right. The things that 
you know, people want to be people want to be kind. You know, people want to people want love. People want to be comforted from the pain that they feel, but you can never get those things in these days or in this life the way how it's presented to you. It's all illusion and we know Satan is the master. But we tell you about our master who dispels the illusion and brings you to the true light, brings you to the true peace, the true joy, the true happiness to give you life and life more abundantly. Back to you, bro. Well, it's good to know that we still are on the same page, Godai one, because that was my ending scripture. <laughs> <laughs> that was my ending scripture, and, that's, and I think that you said exactly all the things that I would have liked to say, because that is the sole reason why we began doing this show in the first place, like you brought out, is so that that veil of ignorance will be taken away. And as that veil of ignorance is taken away, you are now accountable, just as we were accountable to now be subject to the commandments of God. You're not, you're not ignorant anymore of the evils of astrology and witchcraft and demonology. You're not ignorant anymore about letting your children be caught up in the demons of paranormal romance and falling in love with demons and accepting the repackaging of evil. You're not ignorant enough anymore to people telling you about false doomsday prophecies that go on even now to this day with people still trying to put their finger on the times of the end and accepting the teachings of these men which are not of the Lord. But like, like Jesus said, if another came in his own name, him you would hear. And that's what time we're living in. You are no longer ignorant to the science of sin and being born this way. Because through the scriptures, you know that this is, a, this is a satanic doctrine and that you have to turn from it. You are no longer ignorant to the fact that there are evil spirits in this world, which if left unchecked, and if you have no control of your spirit, they can cause you to turn into those monsters that we read about and that we speak about in the news. And we also know that we are no longer ignorant of the fact that there are wicked, evil people who came into the church to corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ from the truth that it is to the abomination that's in the churches today. So that's why we continue this journey from darkness to light. And if it be the Lord's will, we will continue to be those soldiers on the front line sharing the gospel, this glorious gospel, to all those who desire to wake up from that gross darkness and to take their place in the army of the Most High. And with that, we say all praises to the Heavenly Father in Christ, and Shalom.
Father, I have kept my promise. The demon is gone, banished to the shadows along with the sorcerer who cursed us all. But evil is not so easily defeated, and I know I will have to fight again. I am a very different man now. Through all of my travels, all the things I've seen and all the things I've done, I have found my purpose. There was a time when the world was plunging into darkness, a time of witchcraft and sorcery, when no one stood against evil. That time is over. Is over. Is over. If you've enjoyed today's program, join us each week for another installment of From Darkness to Light, airing every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also visit us on our website, www.thebocc.com, and our YouTube page, www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. Once again, that address is www.thebocc.com and our YouTube page, www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. John chapter 3 verse 19. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. <laughs>